Welcome to Yarden Design, a podcast on educating professionals and beginners alike on relevant topics in agriculture, food policy, and food systems. My name is Samantha Varela, and I'm a Master of Environmental Studies candidate concentrating in urban landscape design at the University of Pennsylvania. Today, we're going to be discussing food crisis and the modern agriculture system, a little introduction into that. And we are mainly going to be using a publication by Basso and Ticknor called Eating and the Environment. Quoted in chapter nine, uh, eating is an agricultural act, said Wendell Berry. And so getting into this, uh, giving a little historical background, in 1971, President Richard Nixon nominated Purdue University agriculture, agricultural economist Earl Butts to lead the U.S. Department of Agriculture, commonly referred to as the USDA. Butts faced questioning from farm state senators over whether his links to agribusiness firms would bias his views on farm policy. Uh, His motto was, get big or get out. And so under Butts, and to this day, U.S. agricultural policy would be guided by one goal, plentiful, inexpensive food for all Americans. The policy, which is enshrined in successive farm bills, achieved its objectives, and over the next four decades, even as fewer Americans farmed the land, U.S. agricultural output skyrocketed. New chemical inputs like herbicides and animal antibiotics and the introduction of GM, or genetically modified, seeds were becoming more prevalent. And so, quoting this, uh, Earl Butts built and exemplified the dominant food system. Francis Moore Lapp became his and his system's antithesis. As such, the two stand as compelling bookends for examining the environmental impacts of food production. End quote. We're going to dive a little bit into debating corn ethanol, which is a big topic in agriculture because corn is one of the most uh, common monoculture crops and corn ethanol is also uh, used for so much. It's a byproduct of corn and that a reason why corn is a large commodity and grown on such a massive scale is because of corn ethanol. And so, uh, to supporters, it's renewable. It lessens U.S. dependence on imported oil, and it reduces greenhouse gas emissions and supports American farmers. To critics, it depends on billions in government subsidies, and it encourages overproduction of corn with attendant commodity market distortions and ecological harms. Not to dive too far off the subject, but growing something in agriculture, right, to then feed another agricultural product, especially when you're growing it in this monoculture system and you're using massive amounts of land and resources, uh, including chemicals, water, all of these types of things, um, yeah, absolutely provides ecological harm. There's no doubt about it. Um, An example of this can be growing crops for cows to eat in the meat industry and things like that. So, Going back into corn ethanol a little more, um, fermenting corn into ethanol requires massive amounts of water and energy, more net energy than ethanol generates. And so um, that occurs via a process that itself emits greenhouse gases. And again, that goes back to the ecological harms that are a byproduct of this. Uh, The end note of this, corn ethanol survives nurtured by its political support in the nation's corn belt. And that's usually how it goes when there's enough um, economic and political standing behind these commodities. It is really difficult 
to offer any alternative or to change the system. Um, it's also really energy dependent because contemporary agriculture depends on natural gas to produce the ammonium nitrate that is the building block of synthetic nitrogen fertilizers. Um, petroleum is a catalyst for a range of chemical pesticides and gasoline and diesel fuel uh, power machinery. I think what's really interesting here is the comment of synthetic nitrogen fertilizers, mainly synthetic. Fertilizers themselves are not damaging. They are not, quote, bad or harmful because nitrogen can be captured using bacteria that's in um, the mycorrhizomes of plants, so like that root system. So, you know, you need to have uh, nitrogen and other elements in the soil for crops to successfully grow. So I don't think that fertilizers themselves are an issue, but synthetic fertilizers certainly can be. And this goes kind of back to the idea of these regenerative systems, creating guilds. Um, if you just edit these industrial modern systems a little bit to even include plants that can naturally Again, I, I do want to distinguish it's not the plant itself that captures nitrogen, although plants can capture carbon naturally, it's not necessarily the bacteria in the rhizome. With the case of nitrogen, it is a misconception, like people will say like nitrogen capturing plants. Um, it's just the bacteria in the rhizome, I just really want to distinguish that. But, you know, why do you have to be dependent on synthetic nitrogen fertilizers if you were to just have a system, even if it's at a large scale, um, that has gills? It's still better than a monoculture. So I just think that's kind of interesting because it's energy dependent and something that could easily be taken out of that system um, and would surely actually um, be better economically for these farmers is to just include plants that have the capability of doing this because of right, that bacteria. So kind of silly to me that they're so dependent on these synthetic natural on these synthetic nitrogen fertilizers, excuse me. Um, so yeah, let's go a little bit into genetically modified or GM variants. Monsanto, which is one of the biggest, um, if not the largest company responsible for GM seeds, owns or has legally enforceable control of over 87% of GM seed planted worldwide. So, in the U.S., about 90% of corn, soybean, and cotton acres are planted with GM seed to resist pests or herbicides. And so, are the GM seeds the problem, or is it the monoculture they enforce and the monopoly that supports it, aka Monsanto? Um, my personal take on this, a lot of people debate GM variants because they feel that there are health implications to it or that there may be health implications that are unknown that will come out in the future. There have been studies done that debate, no, there are no known health effects to GM variants. It's not like there's, you know, negative implications to it if you eat, you know, something that came from GM seed. So, you know, it's a GM crop. Um, it's not going to affect your health. I personally stand with that side. I do not think that GM seeds are something that need to be avoided. I don't think GMO crops are something that need to be avoided, but the ethical and social implications of it, absolutely. I do not agree that there should be a monopoly, um, especially Monsanto, which is 
known for owning genetic material, the DNA. And so what happens is naturally you have wind pollination, right? And I'll tell, you know, you get things like undesirable plants. A lot of people call them weeds. I like to call them undesirables or even opportunistic plants. They're really just, you know, these crops that are taking advantage of the environment uh, where they're placed. But you can have things through wind pollination, right? You don't have to manually plant every seed. So naturally things are pollinated with the wind, they travel, they get carried. That's how you also end up with things becoming like invasive and um, kind of unintroduced in certain places. And you're like, where did this come from? Like wind pollination can be responsible for that. And um, anyway, because of wind pollination, there can be neighboring farms uh, to Monsanto lands and things like this. And if that seed ends up on a neighboring farm because they own that genetic material, they legally can um, go after that farm, which usually is a smaller farm, family farm. So I think there are really a lot of implications to that. And Monsanto has many cases where they have done this. I certainly do not think that in the case of agriculture or genetic material, um, it should be owned. But I really also feel that when people discuss GM, they, without having any basis, any evidence, uh, say that there are these like health implications to it. And there's really this terrifying fear that you cannot have anything GM and keep GM out of the grocery stores. And I just don't think that's the case. Later um, in this series, I do discuss how we have been breeding the nutrition out of our foods. Um, that comes from an article that is really... Um, it's somewhat, um, I think, informative on the subject. And obviously I use other examples of this, but I don't think that the seeds themselves are the problem. I think we have a growing population. We need to feed them. I think there's a lot of environmental benefits to um, GM seeds. Um, there are negative implications and consequences to it as well. Not a perfect system. But when we talk about genetic modification, I really do not stand or validate the argument, again, about health implications. And certainly the point that I want to drive home today is the monopoly and the monoculture system that is usually enforced with GM. I think that's a little bit of the problem. I think that having um, companies like Monsanto own this genetic material and the ethical and social implications that it causes for farmers that can barely make a living or might be living paycheck to paycheck, that's where the issue comes in. And that's a little bit of my take on these GM variants. Uh, now we're going to discuss GM and organic the case of BT. So regulations based on the Organics, uh, Organic Foods Production Act of 1990 define GM variants as, quote, synthetic and not, and not legal in organic production. So now we have to question what constitutes, quote, natural, right? With the case of uh, Bacillus thuringiensis, BT, one study noted that the use of BT corn and cotton reduced synthetic insecticide use by 123 million pounds between 1996 and 2011. That is a massive amount. I'm going to repeat that. 123 million pounds. Um, proponents see no genetic difference between natural and GM BT. Critics report that BT sprayed on plants can be washed off, but toxins in GM variants remain with uncertain effects. This again goes back to we don't know the implications now, but we might be seeing them in the future. Although there's not a 
super wide body um, of literature and research available. Um, there are studies that have been done and multiple studies that have been done that do not show any type of um, negative effects of these GM variants. And so GM proponents say that the legal definition of organic rests on a mistaken notion of natural. This is a really interesting topic and something I certainly want to discuss. Organic does not mean natural. These two things are not synonymous and they certainly do not equal one another. Organic, as defined by the USDA, just means that there's a certain list of chemicals that are acceptable um, when you are growing these crops. It does not mean no chemical. And I think that is a massive misconception when people discuss organic. I myself used to be really into buying organic produce and while, you know, organic has to be better than, you know, the other option at the grocery store. The best solution would be to grow, or would be to, well, yes, grow locally, um, but to support local agricultural farms, family farms usually, um, you know, buy, buy small, buy local, discuss with these family farmers, you know, what they use, how do they grow their food. If you are able, you know, even visit the farm, see what setup they have. Um, because the idea of these small scale systems is also learning how to interact with food systems and being, you know, ecologically literate on them. So that's really important. But I just think it's kind of funny learning now that just because it has that USDA organic certification, I personally was victim to this. I used to think it meant like no chemicals were being used. And so I also used to think like, well, this is like as natural as you can get on a large scale. Absolutely not. Chemicals are still being used. Um, it's still a chemical cocktail. It's just a different chemical cocktail because it is from a list of things that are approved. So do people think organic equals natural? If you're defining natural by use of no chemical, absolutely not. Right? Organic would not equal natural. So I think it's really interesting because a lot of people that um are against GM variants are really big proponents of organic and I think there's just that misconception that because it has that USDA organic certification it uh it is natural so it's better for you and that's just not true so I think there's a lot of um unknown hypocrisy or irony certainly when we discuss that um, critics also say that genetic modification is an agribusiness assault on organic agriculture. Um, here, I just want to pose a question to you for you to take a moment and stop and kind of think about what you've been presented with. What do you think about these arguments? And would you say that you're a proponent or a critic in this debate? Of course, the purpose of this podcast as well is to present information for you to further educate and develop an opinion on these things. By further researching these topics, you should never, although I try to present a relatively neutral view on these topics, you should never just take something at face value. You should always do further research on it and always expose yourself to both sides of an argument because it's usually not one side or the other. It usually tends to fall somewhere in the middle. Um, especially as a lot of news sources are politically charged, it's really important to have exposure to both sides. Um, but yeah, so far, based on some of the information that you've been presented, I mean, did you learn something new from this? Has your view changed at all? And are you a proponent or a critic? 
Going a little bit into agriculture and U.S. environmental law as well, the current federal farm policy addressing environmental concerns is in large part voluntary. And so that is, it seeks to encourage agricultural producers to adopt conservation practices through economic incentives. Uh, What do you think about the suggestions related to making agriculture more ecologically sustainable, improving um, conventional production, and what issues, if any, do you have? And so is there anything that you would suggest in support of or against these arguments? I would love to hear your comments and opinions on this. That's going to be it for today's episode. Thank you for listening. I hope this episode helped further educate you on this topic and provide a reliable source of information to question quick headlines and participate in respectful discourse on a subject that affects us all. Until next time, Yardners.